Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Jude, verses 20 through 25. And today, we come to the final sermon in our five-part series through this book. In this brief epistle, Jude challenges his readers to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That is to say that we, the church, are to contend for the purity of the gospel. We are to defend it, we are to protect it, and we are to ensure that no one, particularly in our own body of believers, promotes a false gospel leading people astray from Jesus Christ. Along those lines, then, Jude has spent the better part of this letter helping us recognize and identify false teachers when we see them, particularly in verses 5 through 19, which we've looked at over the course of the last two weeks. Today, Jude ends this letter with some closing directions for his readers, and then he finishes out with a great doxology or expression of praise to God. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Let's dive right into it. We'll begin by looking at verses 20 and 21. In these verses, Jude gives his readers some very important parting instructions. And he's just got done telling them all about these false teachers, but now he's going to switch gears. And in verses 20 and 21, here's what he says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We'll pause there. In these two verses, there are four separate instructions given to believers. But it's interesting when you look at the original language, one of those four instructions, excuse me, one of those four instructions is an imperative, meaning that it's a command. And the other three instructions are participles, meaning that they support and expound upon the imperative. So of the four instructions given in these two verses, which one do you think is the imperative? Which one do you think is the main point? Well, it's the first instruction in verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's the command. Now, what does that phrase mean? Keep yourself, yourselves, in the love of God. Well, one thing right off the bat that it does not mean is that it's up to us to keep our own salvation or somehow be a good enough person that God keeps loving us. To the contrary, Romans 8 says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So once we've been saved, once we've been adopted as a child of God, there is nothing that we can ever do to make God quit loving us. So what does that phrase mean in verse 21 when it tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God? It means that while God never quits loving us, that we have the ability to backslide away from him. It's not that we're ever in danger of losing our relationship with God. The danger is that we fall out of fellowship with God and we do not feel his love and his presence in our life because we're not pursuing him and we're not serving him as we should. So the question is, how do we obey this imperative to keep ourselves in the love of God? 
And the answer is the other three instructions given in these verses. So for instance, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? First, according to verse 20, it says we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. How do we build ourselves up in the faith? I would submit the primary way we do that is by spending time in the word of God, both in personal study and sitting under the teaching of God-called pastors and teachers in our local church. On this subject of building ourselves up, Ephesians 2 says, you are members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So as we think about building ourselves up in the faith, Ephesians 2 says we start with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the New Testament and the Old Testament, or as we know it, the Bible. The Bible is our foundation. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, and we then build our lives and our church upon those things. To state it succinctly, to build up our faith, we must be in the Bible. Short of a steady diet of God's word, we will never grow in Jesus. If we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must devote ourselves to the word of God. The second way we keep ourselves in the love of God, according to verse 20, is by praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is absolutely vital to a healthy relationship with God. Prayer is how we communicate with God. As a rule, God speaks to us through his word and we speak to him through prayer. Now, communication is vital to any relationship. If I never talked to Rachel and vice versa, we wouldn't have a very good marriage. Likewise, if you and I don't spend time praying to our father, communicating with him, how can we expect to have a healthy relationship with him. But also note, we're not just talking about any kind of prayer. Verse 20 says that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, it doesn't mean that we pray with an unknown tongue or with ecstatic utterances as some of our charismatic brethren believe. That's not what Jude is speaking of here. What it does mean is that we pray under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it means that we pray spirit-led prayers, not selfish prayers, not shallow prayers, but prayers that are in accordance with God's word and God's will. The heart of our prayers to the Father should always be, whether spoken out loud or simply understood in our heart, not my will, but thine be done. When this sentiment is the guiding principle of our prayers, then and only then will we pray in the Holy Spirit. Just as an aside, it's okay to ask God for help in this. It's okay to say, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this particular situation I'm in. Help me know how you would have me to pray. Help me to pray in the Holy Spirit. Did you guys know it's okay to pray to know how to pray? And not only will God help you, but Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit will actually pray for you in those times when you don't know what or how to pray. And that's pretty cool as well. 
So to keep ourselves in the love of God, we build ourselves up in the faith. We do that by being in the word and we pray in the Holy Spirit. And the third way we keep ourselves in the love of God is by living with anticipation of Christ's return. We see this at the end of verse 21, where it says that we should be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Most commentators agree when verse 21 says that we are to look, or some translations say look anxiously, or some say look expectantly, that the connotation there is a reference to the second coming of Christ. When Christ returns, he will have mercy on his people. He will catch us up in the air together with him, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We will enjoy eternal life, as it says in verse 21. As Christians, we should live every single day in the joyful expectation of Christ's return. And while there are different viewpoints as to the timing of his return and the events surrounding his return, the New Testament is clear that the posture of the church should be one of constantly looking for Jesus, eagerly waiting for him and making sure that when Christ does return, he finds us faithful and on mission. Throughout the New Testament, the unfaithful are portrayed as those who forget about the return of Christ, who disregard his second coming, and cast doubts on whether or not it will ever really happen. We don't ever want that to be us. We need to be living as though Christ could return at any time, and we need to be telling as many people as possible that he is coming back. So those three things on the screen, according to Jude, that's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. That's how we maintain a healthy relationship and a warm fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That's also how we avoid becoming apostate, becoming like the false teachers that Jude has spent so much of this letter telling us about. Now, before we move on, I do want to chase just a little rabbit for just a moment. It's an important rabbit. Uh, you all know that we believe God is Trinity. Amen? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three in one. Many false churches and cults teach that God is not a trinity in part because that word trinity itself is never used in scripture and that much is true. However, we see the concept of the trinity all throughout the pages of scripture, including right here in these two verses. I just want to point this out real quick. What does it say? It says that we keep ourselves in the love of God, that's God the Father, by looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's God the Son, as we pray in the Holy Spirit. So we see Father, Son, Spirit in those two verses. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Now, as we look at the next two verses, we'll see that in Jude's closing directions for us, he not only gives us instructions pertaining to our own faith, he also gives us directions for reaching out to others. So I want you to read with me, if you will, now, verses 22 and 23. Here's what Jude says. He says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire 
hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. These verses remind us that not only do we have a responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God, but we also have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ to help them keep in the love of God. In other words, within the church, we have a responsibility to minister to one another, to hold one another accountable, because we are a body. We're a family. We're a covenant community. We are interconnected, and so we must help watch out for one another. If you remember, way back at the beginning of the Bible, Cain derisively asked God a question. You remember what that question is? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Remember that? The answer to that question for a Christian is always yes. Every time. We are our brother's keeper. That's exactly what we are. And that's what Jude addresses in these two verses. Remember, the context of this book is contending for the faith, identifying false teachers. And one of the tragic fallouts, one of the tragic consequences of allowing false teachers to exist in the church is that they will, in time, lead other people astray. Young and immature Christians, those who don't know the word of God, those who haven't yet developed biblical discernment, will be deceived and they will be misled by false teachers. The question is, how do we as mature believers handle that situation when we see our fellow church members, people whom we love, being led astray by false teachers and by false teaching. Jude basically gives us two options in these verses. He says, okay, there's one of two ways you can handle this when this happens. First, he says, with some who are misled, we need to, in verse 22, he says, have compassion, making a distinction. The Greek word for distinction there can also mean doubt, leading many translators to phrase verse 22 a little bit differently. Many phrase it this way, have compassion and mercy on those who doubt. Jude's point seems to be that there will be some young and immature Christians who come to doubt certain tenets of the faith because of what they're being taught by false teachers. Jude's advice to us in this scenario is to be gentle with them not to come down hard on them, not to ridicule them or to chastise them, but to be patient, lovingly leading them back to the truth. Listen, we live in an increasingly secular and unbiblical culture. Even if you're genuinely striving to live for Christ, you can't escape it. It's not a stream we can just step over. It's the ocean that we swim in now. False teaching is everywhere. It's all around us every day. And so when we have a young Christian, whether it be physically young or spiritually young or both, who is being constantly inundated with these unbiblical ideas that are out there in the culture, if they should say something or do something that goes against God's word, what will our reaction be? Will we chew them out? Will we write them off? Will we lecture them about how disappointed we are? Or will we have compassion on them, understanding that they're young in the faith, they're not yet mature spiritually, and they need to be taught and discipled and brought along slowly 
in love. That's what Jude is telling us here. That's one way. That's one way we can help fellow believers who are being led astray by false teaching. However, as we all know, not every situation is the same, is it? Because some people should know better. They've been Christians a long time. They know the word of God. And for whatever reason, they're turning their back on what they know in their heart is right. They're rejecting God's word and they're succumbing to false doctrine. And for these, Jude says, we need to take a different approach. For those who fall into this category, this category really of blatant rebellion, Jude says in verse 23, we need to save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire. If you or I saw someone trapped in a house fire or vehicle fire, and they couldn't get out on their own, and we had the ability to reach in and jerk them out, I'd like to think, number one, that we'd do that. And secondly, when we did it, we wouldn't be overly concerned in the moment with how polite we were in doing so, right? We'd say, you need to get out of this fire now. And we would grab them wherever we could grab them, and we would jerk them out. And Jude is saying here, that's how you need to deal with some people in your church when they fall captive to false teaching, when they begin living in sin, they need to be motivated not so much by compassion as, oh, it's okay, let, let, come here, let me help you kind of get through this, but rather they need to be told, you are living in sin and you should be fearful of the judgment of God. You're into something bad here and you need to get out of it before it destroys your life. And not only do you need to get out of it, according to verse 23, you need to change your clothes and take a bath because you reek of that false doctrine and you reek of that sin. Verse 23 says, hey, even the garment defiled by the flesh, get rid of anything in your life that has even the slightest association with that sin and be done with it. So you see, it's two really completely different approaches. One of Rachel's childhood pastors used to say, you guys have heard me say this before, Sometimes you got to say scat cat, and sometimes you got to say here kitty kitty, right? And so you kind of have to know what's the right time to use which approach. How do we know which voice or approach to use when a brother or sister falls into false doctrine and sinful living? Do we use compassion or do we use fear? Compassion or tough love? Well, we need to seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit in that and ask for his guidance. We need to pray for wisdom and then act in accordance with how God leads us. All right, so that's Jude's closing directions to us, both for ourselves and for how best to minister to others. There's a lot of good stuff to think about there. Now, let's conclude this letter, this series, with Jude's doxology, his expression of praise to God as he ends this letter, verses 24 and 25. Here's what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. In this closing word of praise, Jude states some very important doctrines meant to encourage and reassure his readers. He wants to leave them with some encouragement. So first, in verse 24, he refers to God as the one who is able to keep us from stumbling. 
We touched on this earlier in the sermon. We can be absolutely secure in our salvation, not because we can keep ourselves from stumbling. We know we can't, but because God is able to keep us from stumbling. God keeps us from losing our salvation. God seals us with his Holy Spirit until the day of our redemption. God holds us in the palm of his hand and never lets go. And so we praise God for that, for the confidence that gives us. Second, Jude reminds us in verse 24 that God has the power to present us faultless before him. Faultless before his throne, as the old hymn says. How does God do this? Through justification by faith in Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, Jesus removes your sin and gives you his righteousness so that you may be justified in the sight of a holy God. When you put your faith in Jesus and God looks at you, it is just as if you had never sinned. You are faultless before him because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. No one is capable of achieving faultlessness on our own. That comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you called on his name for salvation? If not, you can do that today. You can do it right now where you sit from your heart. You can say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me and rose again. And I commit my life fully and truly to him. And if you give your life to Christ and call on his name, he will meet you right where you're at. And he will save you forever and ever. And one day when you stand before him in judgment, in Christ, he will find you faultless. Because God will look at you and he will see only the spotless blood of Jesus. Third, I also like how Jude says in verse 24 that God will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with what? Exceeding joy. Can I just say that God wants his people to live with joy? What a joyful time of singing this morning. I liked it. It was joyful. God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have exceeding joy. And we can have exceeding joy because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's be a joyful people. Jude wraps up the book in verse 25 by saying that God is our Savior. Do y'all know Jesus is God? That the Savior is God? God is our Savior. That he alone is wise and that all glory and majesty, dominion and power belong to him forever. If you agree with that, say amen. I think that's a good note to close our series on, don't you? Let's pray, then we'll have our song of response. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for this epistle of Jude. Lord, we know that if we take it and apply ourselves to it, that you'll use it to grow us in our faith, to help us be discerning, to help us um, contend for the faith, to help us identify false teachers, to help us be a healthy and strong church and pure church. So Lord, thank you for this time we've had in this book. God, my prayer right now as we prepare to have a time of response, if there's anyone here today who needs to respond publicly in any way to what you are calling them to do, that they would have the courage to come forward and do that, whether that be to profess faith in Jesus, to submit themselves for baptism, to unite with this church in membership, 
or whatever you're calling them to do, give them courage to come and do that now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Musicians are going to come to the platform at this time. We're going to have our song of response. I'll be here at the front. If you need me to talk with you and pray with you, I would be happy to do that. If you want to come and just spend some time alone with the Lord, that's okay too. Um, but let's, let's respond however the Holy Spirit leads us. Let's stand and let's sing together.